We're glad you're back with us this afternoon, this evening. Uh, We are studying the minor prophets, and tonight we come to the prophet of Zechariah. If you would like to open your Bible there. Uh, You're going to find this hard to believe, but one of the hardest parts of preaching is having something to say. And I realize the irony in that, given the length of sermons that you have set through in your years. But the reason it's hard is because things happen that we don't have good things to explain by. We don't always have the answer. We don't always know what to say or what things mean. And that's tough when you're expected to be the person who has the answers. Because we have our own set of questions, too. Friday night, um, I told our library class this earlier, Friday night I got a call from a friend, uh, Michael Jones, who's a preacher out in Waynesboro, Virginia. Uh, and Michael had called to talk to me about something else, but he, he also said, um, I just got a phone call from one of our families. Their four-year-old little boy was unresponsive. Um, we got off the phone about 20 minutes later, Michael texted me back and said, he's gone. A little guy named Jackson Hewitt. Pray for his family. Um, and that's really weighed on me a lot. Uh, not just the passing of that little boy and his family, but also thinking about what, what do you say if you're Michael? In a ministry setting, how do you answer these questions that the family's undoubtedly going to have? And questions that you have. And questions that Michael's own children will have who played with this little boy. The reason I think about that tonight, going into the book of Zechariah, is because when you read the book and you read the way it kind of unfolds, you kind of get the sense that God is trying to answer questions that he knows his people are going to have. In fact, by the time you get to chapter 8 of Zechariah, you'll get an explicit question asked by some of the people back in the land. And in the sections leading up to chapter 8, you'll even find that Zechariah himself has questions of the Lord and the meaning of these visions. And the book of Zechariah really can be divided into two different parts. In fact, scholars like to argue about this. Zechariah chapter 1 through 8 seem to be this kind of cohesive set of visions and explanations and responses that Zechariah has seen and he's experienced and he's supposed to take back to the people. And these are the visions that are fascinating to me because they seem to be answering questions that the returnees of the exile would undoubtedly have themselves. You know, they've they've been in captivity. They've been living in a foreign land, and and when there's a a change of kings, they're allowed to go back, and when they return, they return back to an impoverished land. And and what you find out, you're going to have a lot of questions when you get back. You're going to want to know if the exile is genuinely, honestly over. You're going to want to know if we're still God's people. You're going to want to know why things aren't happening as quickly as they ought to happen. I mean, if we are the people of God and the exile is over, then why in the world are we still impoverished and suffering? 
Why isn't the temple being built back? Why are we seeming to work and send our money somewhere else? Where is the promise of God's blessing? And as you read Zechariah chapter 1 through 8, Zechariah sees this series of visions, and it just seems that God is preempting these questions, it seems to me. And then once you get to chapter 9 of Zechariah, the book goes every which way. I mean, it's, it's scholars argue over whether Zechariah himself actually wrote some of this, because some of it in the New Testament is attributed to Jeremiah, and, and some of it seems to reference events that may have occurred, sound like they occur, before the first part of the book. And, and that's a, another discussion for another time. And, and I want to show you some of the things at the end of the book that tend to find meaning in the New Testament. But what's interesting to me tonight is this series of visions that Zechariah sees and that God is showing him. Now, there are a few things we know about Zechariah himself. We know that Zechariah, according to Ezra, was one of the guys that returns from exile. So you you get the feeling that Zechariah, this prophet of God, makes this trip. He's a priest, based on what we know. He's of the tribe of Levi. But he makes this return, and he himself experiences what's happening back in the homeland. And, And undoubtedly, he's got his own questions. The thing I love about Zechariah is his name. It means the Lord remembers. What a great name. For a group of people returning and wondering if they are still the people of God, if if people still love them, if if God is, is going to bless them. And then to be a prophet with a name like that, that's rich. The Lord remembers. Now what we also know about Zechariah, is that his ministry unfolded contemporaneously with the previous prophet we talked about last week, Haggai. Just listen to the way these things are dated. Haggai, chapter 1, verse 1, in the second year of King Darius, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month. Second year of Darius, sixth month. Zechariah begins, in the eighth month, in the second year of Darius. You see how close these two guys are? They're they're ministering at the same time within months of each other. And so a lot of the same things that Jim talked about last week in this challenge of rebuilding the temple and the questions that Haggai had and and God through Haggai says, so why why is it that you guys get to live in nice, fancy built houses and, and the Lord's house still sits in ruins? Riddle me this. Why do you think you earn all this money just to throw it into a bag with an empty hole at the bottom of it? Those are the same questions that Zechariah is also dealing with. And the same challenges. But Zechariah begins at the beginning of the book to work through a series of visions that the Lord gives him. The very first message Zechariah begins with is a brief lesson in history. Now, have you ever noticed, if you ask someone what the word prophet means, they automatically get this image of some guy predicting the future. You notice that? Uh, so you're standing in the supermarket checkout line, and there's some latest musing that they have found by Nostradamus, a prophet. And, and so our culture and our tabloids all think that the word prophet simply means 
someone who tells the future. What you find in Scripture is prophets are people who speak on behalf of God both of the past, the present, and the future. And the very first thing Zechariah reveals is a lesson in history. It kind of makes you think that one of the questions that people were asking is how did we get into this mess to begin with? And so you get this, this response that, that was read to us earlier. And someone has said that this part of Zechariah really sums up the entire Bible from Deuteronomy through the end of the Old Testament. That look, the people ran from God, God sent His prophets, and the people didn't listen to the prophets, and now the people and the prophets are dead. And the message is, don't be like your ancestors. You know, most of us studied history, most of us gone to school. I had John Thompson and, and Jim Wilson as history professors, and both of them. It's a, it's, a, it's a familiar line, but all history professors sign a contract that say they're going to repeat it. Those who fail to learn the lessons of history are what? You're doomed to repeat it. And then John Thompson would say, which means I'll see some of you again next semester. Well, that's where the book of Zechariah begins. For people who've gone back to the land, and for people who are wondering, how did we get in this mess? God makes the call to open the book to say, come back to me. Don't make the mistakes that your ancestors made. When I sent prophet after prophet after prophet, and they wouldn't listen, and now the prophets are dead, and your ancestors are dead. Don't make that mistake. And that's the first message that Zechariah gives that is important to the rest of his ministry, because Prophets speak the word of the God on the past. And he's saying, if you look at the past, here's where God is. But then he shifts, and you begin to see this series of interesting and intriguing visions. Notice some of these. Chapter 1, verse 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, by the way, this is around the year 520. The date here is about February 15th. Happy anniversary, Zechariah. The word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. And Zechariah said, In the night I saw a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red sorrow and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? See, prophets have questions too. What are these? And the angel who talked to me said, I'll show you what they are. So the man was standing among the myrtle trees answered, They are those whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Then they spoke to the angel of the Lord and was standing among the myrtle trees. We have patrolled the earth and lo, the whole earth remains at peace. Now think about this. We've returned to the land. We're going about our business. We're wondering whether we need to settle down and whether it's worthwhile building the temple. And one of the first visions that Zechariah sees is these horses, and these horses have gone over the land, and the message is, the world is at peace. Now, we take that for granted because we live in a country where it's not every day that we see horrible things. I started reading recently a, a book on leadership by Rudolf Giuliani, who describes in the beginning of his book what September 11th was like. 
And he says he emerged from under one of the underground streets to see everything collapsing and and stuff flying through the air and people covered in ash and blood. And he says, this doesn't happen in America. And we're not used to that. And But if you're Zechariah and you live in his day and you see nothing but struggle and pain and war, to hear this word, the world is at peace. What a remarkable statement. And what an encouraging statement that says, it's time to get about doing the work of the Lord and rebuilding. Don't worry about what's going on. God has made peace for now for you guys to get about the Lord's business. That's the first message and the first image. There's a second one. Chapter 1 and verse 18. I looked up and saw four horns. I asked the angel who talked with me, what are these? And he answered me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah and Israel and Jerusalem. The Lord showed me four blacksmiths and I asked, what are they coming to do? And he answered, These are the horns that scattered Judah and that no head could be raised. But these have come to terrify them, to strike down the horns of the nations that lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. If you've moved back to your land and you're supposed to be rebuilding, one of the questions in the back of your mind is going to be, what about the people who did this to us? And so God shows Zechariah this vision of four horns. And four blacksmiths. And the, the, the blacksmiths are going to terrify the four horns. The people that did this to us. God is going to bring about judgment. Now again, Zechariah doesn't give you the details. He doesn't, give you, he doesn't explain who the horns are specifically or who the blacksmiths are. But what he seems to be answering through the Lord's vision is this simple concern of what about our enemies? What are we to do? There's a third vision. I love this one. Chapter 2, I looked up and saw a man with a measuring line in his hand, and I asked, what are you doing? And he answered me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what it is width and its length. Then the angel who talked with me came forward, and another angel came forward to meet him, and said to him, run, say to the young man, Jerusalem shall be inhabited like villages without walls, because the multitudes of people and animals in it. For I will be a wall of fire all around, says the Lord, and I will be the glory within it. It's kind of like a conversation between the Pope and Donald Trump. Do we have a wall or do we not have a wall? Come on, watch the news, folks. That was funny. <laughs> this man runs out. He sees this vision. And, and it's a vision of a man who begins to measure Jerusalem. And an angel says there's no need to measure. Because Jerusalem's not going to need a wall. It, it's going to be... The wall of protection is going to be the fire of the Lord. Can you imagine the peace and the comfort that that brings to people who've been through everything the exiles have been through? Who wonder whether or not it's time to build? And, and the message is twofold. One is that the, the wall, God's going to protect you. But the second message is Jerusalem is going to be bursting at the seams with cattle and people that the Lord brings back to you. It's time to rebuild. That's what Zechariah's message is. If you're one of the exiles 
And you hear this, verse 13 of chapter 2. Be silent, all people, before the Lord, for He has roused Himself from His holy dwelling. Don't you love that image? Here the people of God are suffering and they're wondering whether or not it's time to rebuild. They're wondering whether or not we're still the people of God and, and what should we do and, and what about our, our enemies? And, and Zechariah's message is the Lord has roused Himself from His temple. Look, when the Lord stands up, it's not good news for those who oppose His people. And this image of Zechariah is that the Lord is not going to sit idly by and watch His people suffer any longer. So go build. So go work. He has another vision. Chapter 3. And these, there are two visions like this in this first six chapters or first eight chapters of Zechariah that has to do with Joshua and Zerubbabel, a stone and a branch. And admittedly, these are challenging texts and scholars debate the meaning of these. But it seems to me that what Zechariah is being told by the Lord to repeat to the people is that God is putting the right leaders in place to make this happen. Chapter 3, verse 1. He showed me the high priest Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord, who was chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. This is not, is not this man a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And to him he said, See, I have taken your guilt away from you, and I will clothe you with festal apparel. Our priest, the one who appeals to God on our behalf, is standing before God, and in the Hebrew language, it's the accuser, Hasatan. Not necessarily the formal name of Satan as he comes to be known in the New Testament. But this, this kind of cross-examiner of the Lord, or, or someone who cross-examines in the presence of the Lord, says, this is your high priest. He's, he's dressed in these dirty clothes. Surely he can't be the man. And the Lord says, change his clothes. We're going to cleanse him and make him pure. And it's the Lord's way of saying to the people, you have someone to stand before me. Go build. Go about the Lord's work. God's putting leaders in place. And, and verse 6 goes on to talk about this promise that God makes about a leader and a ruler and, a, and the branch, which Jeremiah will talk about being someone of the tribe of David or a descendant of David. God's taking care of the leadership. Chapter 4 you get this, this weird image of a lampstand and, and this different concept. He says, verse 2, What are you seeing? I said, I see a lampstand of gold and a bowl on top of it. There are seven lamps on it, seven lips of each of the lamps. there are the top of it. And by it there are two olive trees, one to the right and the bowl on the left. And I said to the angel who talked to me, What are these, my Lord? See, the prophet's got his own questions. And the angel who talked to me answered me, Do you not know what these are? I said, No. He said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. What are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain, and he shall bring on top, uh, Zerubbabel shall become to you a plain, and he shall bring out 
the top stone amid shouts of grace and grace to it. Zerubbabel is kind of this provisional governor who's a descendant of David. And God says, I'm going to work through him and the temple will be complete. See, if you're not sure about your leadership, you're not going to be rebuilding. You're not going to be doing the work of the Lord. And, and through Zechariah, God says, I'm preserving the leadership that I've promised. He has another vision. All these different visions. Verse 6 is a, a vision of a flying scroll. This scroll is 35 feet long, 15 feet wide. On one side of it is this curse of anyone who, who takes oaths, who doesn't honor oaths. And on the other side of it, he says that there's, there's this other concern about those who blaspheme and those who steal and cut off the writing on one side. Everyone who swears falsely. Verse 4, I have sent it out, says the Lord of hosts, and it shall enter the house of the thief, the house of anyone who swears falsely by my name, and it shall abide in the house and consume it, both timber and stones. If you're, if you're working to rebuild, one of the questions is, what about the people who don't honor the covenant? And, and Zechariah sees this vision of this flying scroll. This scroll is, that calls to mind the commandments not to steal and the, command, and the command not to bear false witness. God's community in the, in the restoration will be a community of reconciliation and a community of peace. Go build. That's the community God calls you to have. And then those questions that people tend to have. Maybe one of the strangest visions he has is the next one. Verse 5. Chapter 5. The angel who talked with me came forward and said to me, Look, look up and see what this is coming out. I said, What is it? He said, This is a basket coming out. And he said, This is their iniquity in all the land. Then a lead and cover was lifted and there was a woman sitting in the basket. It gets weirder. He said, this is wickedness. So they thrust her back into the basket, pressed the leading weight down on its mouth. Then I looked up and saw two women coming forward. The wind was in their wings, and they had wings like that of a stork. And they lifted the basket between the earth and sky. And I said, the angel who talked to me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to the land of Shinar, to build a house for it. And when this is prepared, they will set the basket down there in its base. She got a basket and a woman in the basket. They take off the lid. They put the lid back on. And two flying women with wings like storks carried off to Babylon. How weird. It's the wickedness and the evil that's in the land. And Zechariah sees this vision that says it's going to be carried off. People who have returned, who don't honor covenant, people who don't trust the word of the Lord... They're going to go back into exile. God will cleanse this land. God will cleanse His people. God's righteousness will be restored. Chapter 6. Four chariots of divine judgment come out. And the most interesting, that the four chariots, the four different horses, seem to represent the four corners of the earth. And the black horse is sent off to the north where Israel has been in captivity and exile. And you get this word from the Lord. 
Verse 8, he cried out to me, Lo, those who go toward the north country have my spirit at rest in the north country. That place of exile where you suffered. God is sending his judgment. And his judgment will bring about rest and peace. These weird visions all over Zechariah. And while it seems kind of odd what's going on, it's God is answering their questions and seeming to answer their objections to why they won't rebuild or why they won't be about the work of the Lord. Because our enemies are still out there, God says, I'll take judgment on your enemies. Well, what about our leadership? And God says, I've risen up Joshua and Zerubbabel. I've, I've given them my anointing, if you will. Well, God, are we still your people? And God says, yes, I have called you. Well, what about the people who won't continue to work and who won't honor the covenant? God says, I'll take care of that. Get out there and build. Get out there and work. You are the people of God. Now live as the people of God. One of the last visions is, again, a strange vision. Scholars don't know what to do with it. Interpretation is weird. You get this this making of a crown for Joshua. And this crown, Joshua the high priest, is is made this crown, and the crown is made from uh, the rewards or the donations of exiles who have just come back. And then the crown is placed on Joshua and it's put back in the temple and, and the branch is mentioned again. And, but what seems to be happening there is there, there is a unity among the people at work. There's unity from the people who bring the stuff, the new exiles bringing this. There's unity among the high priest and there's unity, it seems, among the king and the high priest. And we're all working together. God says, build a remarkable image of the blending of the, the kingship and the priesthood that finds its ultimate fulfillment in the New Testament in Jesus. All of these questions. There's one other question, a question that's asked in chapter 7. It's a very interesting question. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came by Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, which is Kislev. Now the people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Rigamon Melech and their men to entreat the favor of the Lord and to ask the priest of the house of the Lord of hosts and the prophets, should I mourn and practice abstinence in the fifth month as I have done so many years? Here's the question. We've been fasting and we've got these fasts. We've got a fast in August for the destruction of the land. We've got this other fast. We've got the temple here, and we're still two, three years out from the building of the temple and the completion of the temple. But what do we do? Do we fast or do we feast? Is this a time for mourning or a time for celebration? What do we do? In all of chapter 7 and all of chapter 8, it's kind of a terse response that says, in effect, why are you fasting in the first place? Is it about you or is it about God? Because fasting, and in in fact all of worship in Scripture, is not about changing God's mind. It's not as if you're doing some favor for God. Fasting is about changing who you are. And committing yourself and calling yourself back to the faithfulness of God. The reason the land is in this position is because we, we did not seek the favor of the Lord. And so Zechariah tells him, 
in chapter 8 and verse 16. These are the things that you should do. Speak truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath for all these things I hate, says the Lord. So do we, do we keep worshiping because we don't know what we do here? And Joshua or Zacharias says, you want to, you want to know what the Lord wants from you? If you read the other prophets, Isaiah said, I'm, I'm sick of your feasting. I'm sick of your fasts. I'm, I'm sick of, I'm sick of all this stuff you do trying to entreat God when you're not willing to change the way you live your life. Zacharias says, you really want to know what God wants from you? Do justice. Love your neighbor. Keep your word. Seek what's right. That's what God's asking of you. Your your fasts mean nothing if you're not upholding covenant. These visions in chapter 1 through chapter 8, like I said, seem to be God answering questions and doubts and and problems. Once you hit chapter 9 of Zechariah, there are two more long oracles. It's an oracle of judgment, chapter 9 through chapter 12, this oracle of judgment that God is going to bring about judgment on the people who have opposed His people. And you get this very familiar image. Look at chapter 9, verse 9. See if you've heard this before. Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. Ever heard that before? Matthew reaches back to this text and he quotes it when Jesus rides into Jerusalem. Zechariah also envisions in chapter 11 through the remainder of the book the rejection of God's leadership. That even though God's doing all of these things for the people, like a shepherd that's rejected, God is rejected. And it's in the midst of these texts that you find some familiar phrases. Chapter 12 and verse 10. I'll pour out a spirit of compassion and supplication on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that when they look on the one whom they have pierced, they will mourn from him as one mourns for an only child. Is that painting a familiar picture to you? Zechariah is calling his same ministry of Haggai. Get back to work. God's going to provide the leadership. God's going to provide the protection. There'll be a fire around the city. God's going to bring the people back. God's going to chase the wickedness out. And this prophet who has his own questions is called to relay these messages to the people of God. We all have questions. In in the midst of suffering and persecution and life that is broken and completely fallen, we seek God with questions. And this prophet is shown these visions to preempt those for the people of God. And what you and I get out of the book of Zechariah 
is that what the people were longing for in Zechariah's day, this ultimate fulfillment of God bringing the people out of everywhere and bringing them to Jerusalem and, and this image of God restoring His people are ultimately what the New Testament argues is done in Jesus Christ. He is the one riding on a donkey. That image of a triumphant yet humble leader. He is the one that the New Testament says they looked upon the one that they had pierced. Jesus is the fulfillment of everything Zechariah is looking toward. The minor prophets majority of them call the people of God to repent or to face destruction. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi are going to call the people to get back to the work of the Lord. To turn back to God and to give your life in service to Him. And what they're calling for is what we call for every time we offer the invitation. That we are people who are brought back to God through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And because of God's goodness, He sends us to build, to work, and to not let all these other things stand in the way of accomplishing what He sent us out to do. We invite you to respond to the invitation of Jesus Christ this evening. If there's any need you have that we can help you with, please make that known while we stand and sing.